Over the last few years, I had a growing number of you tell me that you were frustrated with your experience of prayer, that you struggled to pray. A number of you said that you were hungry to learn more about prayer, that you wanted to develop greater consistency in the practice of prayer. That's why we made 2018 a year of prayer at our church. So over the past 12 months, we've explored different Bible passages about prayer. We started praying together in silence every week during our worship service. We experimented together by praying from the scriptures aloud as part of our worship. We started a special monthly gathering called First Friday Prayer. And as a result of these things and others, we prayed more, and we prayed in some new and different ways. We also decided to do something distinct. We wanted to create a visual representation of our prayers. So every week, we took the written prayer requests that are turned in to the church, and we prayed over those as we always do, but this last year, we did something different. After we prayed, we shredded the prayers and we placed them in a prayer tower so that we could watch our prayers grow throughout the year. We have a picture of the prayer tower up here for you. And because of that prayer tower, we could visually watch our prayers climb toward heaven throughout the year. Two nights ago at our first Friday prayer gathering, we ceremonially burned the prayers of 2018. We were trying in our own limited way to act out something that we find in the Bible. In the book of Revelation chapter 8, the Apostle John has an amazing vision of heaven. And in that particular passage, he writes about an angel that he sees standing before the heavenly altar. This angel has a bowl of burning incense. And we're told that the bowl of incense represents the prayers of all God's people. And so the smoke of the burning incense, the smoke of prayers, rises up before God on His throne. And in a similar way, this past Friday night, the smoke of our prayers was lifted up to heaven as we brought the year of prayer to a close. Among other things, here's what I said to the group that gathered that night. I said, these shredded prayers record the hopes, desires, anguish, and dreams the past year. And on behalf of our church, we now want to present these requests once again to God. We want to thank Him for those requests that were answered, and we want to ask God to again and still be at work in those prayers which seem to remain unanswered. And so we burned the prayers, and we prayed together. And here are some pictures that we took because we want to share this moment with you. We gathered out beyond the entrance to the church around the fire pot there. I shared a few thoughts. And then one by one, people began to approach the fire and they would take a handful of shredded prayers and drop them in. We would watch the prayers be consumed. Some people just did this silently. Some offered a prayer of thanks or A prayer asking God to be with us and continue to be at work. And we slowly watched our prayers turn to ash. And we watched the smoke rise up to heaven. Seemed like a fitting end to our year of prayer. 
Even though the year of prayer is over, though, our need to pray never, ever stops. So as we head into 2019, there's a vital principle I believe God wants us to grasp. Never stop praying. That is an essential aspect to the life of faith that God wants us to get hold of, and that's where we want to focus our attention this morning. To be reminded of this vital truth, never stop praying. And we find that principle concisely described for us in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Not just when you feel like it. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes these words to believers living in the ancient city of Thessalonica, and the believers there are going through a variety of difficult circumstances. Paul writes these words to encourage them, to encourage them in their faith, to encourage them to hold on to God regardless of what may be happening in their lives. Now, I have to tell you, the first time I read these words many years ago, I thought Paul was asking the Thessalonican believers to do something impossible. After all, how can you always be joyful? How can we be thankful if we're in the midst of hardship or if we've just experienced a tragedy? How can we pray if we're in a crisis and we feel like God has abandoned us? Fortunately, a wise friend helped me realize that I had drawn the wrong conclusions about this passage. As Paul writes these words under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he specifically says that followers of Jesus are to pray and to give thanks and to be joyful in all circumstances, not because of all circumstances. We do not thank God for everything that happens to us. We just keep praying no matter what happens to us. Now, that's not easy to do because when things aren't going well, it is so tempting to blame God. It's tempting to ignore God and to turn away from Him. Paul wants to protect us from falling into that kind of unhealthy pattern. And so he urges us here to build a pattern of prayer into our life, a pattern of prayer that transcends our circumstances. So if things are good, we pray. If things are bad, we pray. We pray and we give God thanks for His mercy, for His presence, for His love, for His forgiveness. There always are things we can thank God for. And if we consistently draw near to God when times are good, then we equip ourselves to draw near to God when times are hard. And here's what we find. The more we pray, the more we experience a deep-seated joy. The joy of simply knowing God. And it's a joy that transcends both the pleasure and the problems of life. This is God's will for us. 
This is what he wants for his children, that we would make prayer and thanks and joy a consistent pattern of our lives. And we can be joyful because as we pray consistently, we find that in response to our prayers, our loving Heavenly Father always brings about some kind of change. He may change our circumstances. He may change us. Or He may change both. Now, if you've been here at Gardenway for a while, you know that I spent 12 years in business before I entered the ministry. And I actually felt called to be a businessman. It wasn't just something I fell into. I did it because I believed that's where God wanted me to invest my time and my talent and my energy. I found great fulfillment working in business. However, there came a time when God wanted to, wanted to make a change in my circumstances. He had other plans for me. But evidently, I wasn't listening too well. I think perhaps I had just gotten too comfortable in my way of life. So God got my attention in a big way. He got me fired. <laughs> that was a wake-up call. Now, I was shocked because I'd been doing a good job. My pride was wounded because up to that point I'd had a successful career. I was angry with God. How could He let me be treated so unfairly? It's in moments like these, moments when life is not unfolding the way that we want, moments when life is not fulfilling our expectations that we're tempted to pull away from God. And fortunately, in this case, I didn't do that. I continued to pray and pursue God because I had established this as a pattern of my life. For me, praying was as natural and normal as brushing my teeth or shaving my face, though obviously much more important than those mundane tasks. And so I continued to consistently pray and thank God for His love and for meeting my needs, even though I didn't understand nor see any reason for what was happening to me. Yet as I continued to pray, and to pray thankfully, things began to change. My bitterness faded away and was replaced by joy. The joy of being connected to the living God. And it was then, when I'd cleared away the emotional debris in my mind and my heart, it was then that I began to be able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And it was then that I began to realize that God wanted to redirect my life from the marketplace into ministry. Because I prayed and prayed consistently, God changed me and He changed my circumstances, both in ways that I did not expect. As I reflect back on that experience, it occurs to me that if I had anchored myself in anger, which is so easy to do when we're not getting our way or when life is unfair, or if I had stopped praying, which we so often do when life doesn't fulfill our expectation, if I had done either of those things, I might have missed out on the best that God had for me. 
So it was a powerful experience reminding me of exactly what Paul writes here to the believers in Thessalonica. Never stop praying. Because when we pray consistently, God will, in some way, meet us in the midst of our circumstances. That's a lesson that Scripture drives home for us again and again and again with countless examples. And this morning, we're going to look at one of those examples from the book of Acts, chapter 16. And we're going to do something a bit different this morning. I'm not going to put this Bible passage for you on the screen. And I'm not going to read it to you from the Bible. I'm going to simply tell you the story. It's a dramatic episode in the life of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul who wrote these words to the church in Thessalonica. And we're going to keep this passage on the screen, and I'd like you to listen as we see Paul practice what he preaches. Paul's going to give us a real-life example that validates and reinforces the words that are written here. And so in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 16, we find the Apostle Paul preaching in the city of Philippi along with his traveling companion, Saul. They're there to tell people the good news about Jesus Christ. And as they are doing ministry, they encounter a poor young girl who is enslaved. She's been enslaved because she is infested by an evil spirit that gives her the ability to tell the future. And because of that, some people have taken ownership of her. And they are using this to produce lots and lots of income for themselves. Paul intervenes. He relies on the power of the Holy Spirit to free this young girl from the evil spirit. And the removal of that evil spirit means that her ability to tell the future also has been removed. And therefore, she is of no further use to her owners. So Paul's actions not only free this poor young girl from spiritual bondage, but also from a life of physical bondage. And I have to say, it makes me so very sad to realize that throughout church history, some Christians periodically read the writings of Paul elsewhere in the Bible, and they've used those words as an endorsement of slavery. Paul's actions recorded for us in the book of Acts chapter 16 make it clear that he is no fan of human trafficking. God does not endorse slavery. Because God cares for every person who is made in his image. And slave owners care nothing for people. They care only for their income. And so these men who owned... It's horrible. How can you own a human being? These men who owned that girl, they don't care about her, they just care about the loss of income. And so they make a legal charge against Paul and Silas, and Paul and Silas are dragged before the magistrates, they're stripped half naked, they are flogged, which means they are violently whipped on their backs. And then they're sent to jail. And it's not enough that they should be thrown in prison and locked behind bars. Within that prison cell, they are also placed in uncomfortable stocks, which make them unable to move. And those events reveal just how broken a society can become. 
Paul and Silas had stared evil in the face and they'd taken a bold step of faith. And as a result, God had worked through them to free a, a young woman and to right and correct a moral and spiritual injustice. And in a godly world, in a just world, Paul and Silas would be celebrated. They would be thanked. They would be honored, and yet they find themselves in jail. It is a travesty. And yet this is where we get to the heart of the story. Picture these two men, these two godly men. They're half naked. Their backs are bleeding from the deep cuts of the whips. They're held immobile in stocks in this prison cell. And the Bible tells us that at midnight, they're awake. No surprise, huh? How could anyone sleep as they dealt with the burden of pain and discomfort that those men must feel? Try to imagine yourself in a situation like that. What would you do? Would you pray? I personally think that if any two people ever had a reason for feeling like not praying, it would be Paul and Silas in that moment. And yet they don't ignore God. They don't rail against the injustice of what has happened to them. Instead, they pray. Paul and Silas pray, and they sing songs of praise to God. In fact, they sing so loudly that everybody in the prison can hear them. find myself wondering, how can they do that? What logical, earthly reason do they have for praying and praising God and giving Him thanks? Hasn't God abandoned them? If God really was with them, would they be there in that prison? You see, despite the injustice, despite the pain, Jesus still is Lord. God is still in heaven, and He is still working out His purposes in His world. And earlier that day, God had worked through Paul and Silas to set a young girl free from spiritual and physical slavery, and that is a great reason to give thanks regardless of whatever else took place on that particular day. So Paul prays, he sings, he honors God and gives Him praise. And here's the point that really hits me. I believe that Paul can pray in this terrible moment because he has made prayer a consistent part of his life. Paul can pray when he's been beaten and thrown in jail and is dealing with excruciating pain. He can pray then because he always prays. He always prays regardless of his circumstances. Paul never stops praying. What a great example for us. Now, I have no doubt that at least part of what Paul is praying for is to be released. I think that's what we'd pray for. Lord, get us out of here. Well, because he prays, God responds. And in this case, God does something incredible and unique. He causes an earthquake 
that shakes the prison. God miraculously pops open the doors of the prison cell, and every prisoner in that jail miraculously has their shackles fall away. Wow. Now, what would you do in that situation if you were praying to be set free and God in some incredibly miraculous way like that answered your prayer? I know what I'd do. I'd make a beeline for the front door. I'd go running away, dancing and singing, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, for answering my prayer. Thank you for setting me free. But that's not what Paul does. Paul is so aware that God is at work on multiple levels all the time. Paul is aware that sometimes God answers our prayers not just to bless us. God sometimes answers our prayers to do things in the lives of people around us. So Paul doesn't think only of himself, and he doesn't immediately run away. In fact, what he does is he speaks to the terrified jailer who's overwhelmed at all that's taking place. And Paul uses these miraculous circumstances to get the jailer connected to Jesus. So Paul prays, and God changes his circumstances. Paul prays, and God changes the life of the jailer, both for this world and the next. Is there any way to respond to something like that with anything other than incredible joy? When we pray consistently, when prayer and praise and thanks are woven into the fabric of our lives, then God will meet us in the midst of our circumstances and He will give us reasons to rejoice. And part of what I learn here from Paul is that it's much easier to listen to God when we continually pray. And when we're praying and listening, we're far more likely to catch what God wants us to do even in moments when we've been victimized, even in moments when it's so easy to think only of ourselves. God can use every moment in life to accomplish His purposes in us and through us when we make the choice to never stop praying. Paul's experience here is an amazing one not the only one like this he had. Paul knows in very real ways what it's like to experience physical and emotional pain. He knows what it's like to be unfairly treated because it happened to him more than once. Yet it's out of these real life experiences that he writes these words to the Thessalonians. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Paul wants us to know that this is what God wants for his children. This is his will for you and for me. To never stop praying and then see what God might do. And so Paul's teaching and the example of Paul and Silas remind us of the foundational nature of prayer. It is central to our spiritual lives and spiritual vitality. And that's why we spent all of last year emphasizing prayer. 
Our goal was to learn how to embed prayer into our lives as natural and ongoing and consistent. And I hope that some of you are having a richer, deeper experience of prayer because of what we did this past year. And heading forward, God wants us to remember as we continue to pray, something always changes. Sometimes our circumstances. Sometimes us. Sometimes both. And we need to understand beyond any doubt that this is true not just for the people whose lives and experiences are recorded for us in the Bible. These things are true for us right here within our community of faith. I want to share with you a few highlights of what God did, did in our midst this past year as we committed ourselves to prayer in greater and deeper ways. And everything that I'm about to tell you took place with a specific individual in our church family. First, here are some circumstances that were changed. Four unemployed people found work and were able to meet their needs. One individual who was evicted from her home found a new affordable place to live. One person suffering from a chronic health problem, one that had gone on for several years, was healed. Second, here are some circumstances that changed because people allowed God, through the power of His Spirit, to change them. Four people have been freed from intense anger, and they no longer erupt at their family members. Three badly broken friendships have been restored. Five people have been set free from addictions. Eight people responded in faith to Jesus and were baptized. All of these were needs that were expressed in prayer, and God responded. And these are just the answers that I know about. I'll bet you know of some answers as well. And these concrete answers are a concrete reminder that when we pray, things change, and that's why the Apostle Paul urges us, never stop praying. When prayer is a natural, ongoing part of your life and mine, that it is much, much easier to pray when times are good and when times are bad. And we will be able to pray and give thanks in all circumstances, regardless of what's happening around us. And as we pray consistently, God will sustain us with a profound joy. The joy of simply knowing and having fellowship with our great God. That was true for Paul. That was true for Silas. And I pray that it always would be true for you and for me.